Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adelamarcy.com. Sorry, Adelamarcy.com presents Adelamarcy Unplugged. I even got my goddamn podcast name wrong. That's how much of a fan I am of the next person that's actually on here right now. Um, before we do that, the websites today that sponsor us are, as always, purelyhosting.com forward slash Adel. Get your website and your hosting built for you completely for free. Uh, but get your hosting and they'll build the website for you, yada yada. They'll go there, they'll show you what's up, it's all good and well. But realistically, the reason I'm actually rushing past that is because we are also sponsored by the one and only DoberlandDan.com today. This episode is brought to you especially by him. Uh, I'm not going to pitch anything because I swear to God, the moment you land on that page, if your brain does not have a complete explosion of how amazing it is, not because of just the visual effects, just because of, you know, Stoberman Dan, um... You will be at the end of this podcast and this call because it is nothing shy of amazing. So I'm not going to go ahead and do too much of an introduction, but uh, Doberman Dan, or Dan, I'm not going to say your setting because I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, welcome to the show. Thanks, Adel. I appreciate it. You know, I don't know if you know this or not. So I made fun of Facebook for years and said I was never going to get on there. And then at Dan Meredith's, I got tired of Dan Meredith pestering me to get on there. So I finally got on there and you were the first person to contact me on Facebook after I got on there. Really? Yes. Yeah. Person one. Sorry, I, I shouldn't have done that because my earphones nearly ripped off and I almost broke them. <laughs> but yes, person one. <laughs> Absolutely, man. So I'm glad to be talking with you. Likewise, I think, yay. This, this is actually a monumental moment for me. Um, for everyone that doesn't know, because I don't really go around fanboying and screaming about this kind of stuff, but um, Doberman Dan has been, how do I put this? There is only a certain amount of copywriters on the planet that I like, well, not even I like studying, because I study everyone, because I have to keep above the curve and everything like that. But his name has been mentioned to me more times than I care to think about. So much so that every person I follow has said, have you heard, Have you spoken to Doe and Dan? Have you read his newsletter? Have you done this? Have you? Have you? I'm like, um, no, but eventually, now I can say I have and say I interviewed him and I was the first one to interview him on Facebook, so in your faces. Um, <laughs> but the guy's an absolute legend, um, just in every sense of the word. I actually do need to find out how you got the nickname Doberman Dan. I know it's something to do with you owning a Doberman or having a business that was teaching Doberman training. Well, when you said you're not going to say my last name because you can't pronounce it, you and about a hundred million other people, nobody can pronounce my last name or spell it. And frankly, since I was a kid, I've hated my last name. So uh, I was writing, I had a business in the bodybuilding niche and I was writing an article or I, I'm sorry, I wrote an article about when my Doberman was a puppy and he got into a fight with a Rottweiler. My Doberman probably only weighed like 65 pounds at the time, and the Rottweiler weighed 130. But my Rottweiler kicked his ass. So I, Wait, uh, so I, Doberman kicked his ass. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. The, the the Doberman, my Doberman, little puppy, kicked this full-grown Rottweiler's ass. So I wrote an article about that for the bodybuilding market and talked about how. You know, I'd let myself turn into that big bulky Doberman who, I'm sorry, big bulky Rottweiler who couldn't move very well, you know, for eating too much pizza and drinking too much beer. So, you know, I had begun my transformation back to my Doberman body, you know, the lean muscular thing. And I signed off on the article as a joke in quotes, Doberman Dan. And so my whole audience back then and, and subscribers and customers 
just grabbed it and ran and started calling me Doberman Dan. And it's stuck ever since. And I thought, hey, you know what? It wasn't, it probably wouldn't have been the moniker I would have chosen for myself, but I'm going to go with it because I, I hate my last name and nobody can pronounce it or remember it. So everybody remembers Doberman Dan. So there it is. And what was that, like seven, 18 years later, <laughs> it's stuck. What's really funny is I can, I, I know how to spell your surname, but I don't want to butcher it. I'm going to attempt it because it's going to be hilarious. It's either going to be, he's going to shoot me when I go meet him or bench press me or completely hug me <laughs> for the fact that I actually got it right. Uh, Gallopu? Dude, you've just joined a very exclusive club of people who've pronounced my name correctly. <laughs> so it's, dope, uh, it's Dan Gallopu. Yeah. And it's, yes. uh, it's not really, that's not really my last name. Uh, so my great grandfather was French Canadian. And he emigrated to the U.S. from Quebec. And it's, it's Gallipo, G-A-L-I-P-E-A-U. But the dumbass American immigration people screwed it up on his paperwork. And, you know, back then people would just stuck with it. You know, they, they thought that was the way it was supposed to be. Their name was now Americanized. So he didn't bother to tell them it was wrong. And it's, it's actually, Gallipo is a fairly common name in the French-speaking parts of Canada. Yeah, I was going to say, I actually met someone out there when I lived in Montreal. You're the only person I think I've, with the exception of Dan Meredith, you're the only person I've told that story to about what my real last name is supposed to be. Awesome. But yeah, quick side note as a joining factor, my surname completely screwed up as well. Really? Yeah, because my actual birth name on my certificate is Amarshi Samaya. It's a double barrel. Um, but my dad kind of, like when my dad moved us over from uh, Africa to England, uh, the customs agents screwed it up really badly, and they screwed it up on my birth certificate as well, and just put Amarshi, like when they were updating my files. And they didn't put the H, they just put Amarsi. Huh. Because um, that part of my surname is actually from like my great-great-granddad who is uh, part Sicilian, weirdly enough. So this is, it's, a, it's an Italian surname. Wow. You know, I wonder how many people have surnames that are really not <laughs> like they're supposed to be just because some immigration guy screwed it up on their paperwork. Let's call them what they are, immigration and jack-offs. That's what they are. <laughs> Absolutely. I, was gonna I say, agree. I have a problem with like the home office right now. It's like, dude, give me my passport. It's been a year. I wouldn't leave the island. Wow. It's so bad. Like, I'm still like calling it. It's kind of hilarious. That's the reason I didn't actually get to Titans was uh, I had no travel documents to get out of the country to fly to the States to go to Titans. Oh, man. I'm sorry you missed that. It yeah. was. And, no, and I don't, just no. Don't tell. I don't me mean to be rubbing it into your face, but <sighs> oh, my gosh, you know. Wow. Well, there was wow, a guy, there was all was I guy, can say. There was a guy that went in my place, a guy called VJ Maru. I don't know if you know him. I did not meet him, no. He was actually, if you were there during the session for the Q&As, um, were you there for the Q&As? Like yes, I was. Okay. Yes. The guy that asked Jay Abraham what he does, what he could do because he's just starting out, and Jay just ripped into him. That was yep. him. Oh, that was your friend? Oh, that wow. Fr and I've actually got the DVD of it because the story is Brian Kurtz actually told VJ, ask Jay Abraham. <laughs> just like as a prank just to get Jay on this. 
And when it happened, like afterwards, apparently Brian went up to him, like not just VJ went up to James, like no, no, no. I told him I just pranked him, and apparently they had like a reconciliation afterwards. But it was so funny to watch because it's on camera. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> I was like, dude, that was brilliant. But man, I um, kind of like jumping into it though, dude. You've inspired so many people to do what they do. It's ridiculous. Like just constantly. I mean, you even had Halbert at one point um, sing your praises, which is rare in its own right because Halbert rarely did that. Well, thank you for saying that. You know, we're us copywriters. We're a weird bunch, man. We we like spend a large part of our lives with our ass in a chair plopped down in front of a computer. So when you say I've inspired a lot of people, my initial reaction is, really? Yeah. I sure hope so. Uh, have I? I don't know. I hope I have. Massively, dude. I mean, there is. Um... I know a bunch of people that, like for years, I mean, um, just to give you a bit of background on my story, like I said, I started off writing really young, not knowing what I was doing because uh, it was a way for my parents to get me around, like, um, I got told I was a slow writer when I was younger, so my dad used to get me to go to his office and write stories about the products they had, and I didn't know until I was 18, they used to actually take these down to the direct response guys, and they would just dress it up a little bit and mail it out. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, you say you started you started at 12. That's like really rare. Yeah. Um I was telling I was talking to Bond about this and Bond was like, "Yeah, it's funny wait till you hit like 32 and people ask you how long you've been doing what you've been doing and you say 20 years and they just give you that weird look on your face and say you're lying and you're like, "Actually, I'm not." <laughs> it's like sales psychology has been ingrained in me because um it's really weird. It's the third time I've told the story today. Um do you mind if I tell it to you? I, I would I would love, I was going to ask you to tell it because I'm fascinated by this. Most 12-year-olds don't have the focus or, you know, they just want to go play baseball. So I'm yeah. I'm dying to hear about this. It actually started when I was younger, when I was five. Um, my dad became paralyzed from like the waist down for two years, like from five to seven. And as you know, psychologically, it's now proven that between ages five and seven, uh, well, up to the age of seven, your brain isn't really formed fully to have a... Um, conscious mind is all in conscious matter, mm -hmm. which is why it's so hard to remember stuff from that time. Um, what happened to me was that my dad uh, used to, I have an older sister, um, and she literally, I, I'm not even kidding, she used to beat the crap out of me to watch TV shows. <laughs> uh, she's seven years older than me, I love her to bits, but, um, so the only way I can get around to watch cartoons was, you know, sit around, wait till my dad moved and change the channel. But he would sit there from like four o'clock in the afternoon until eight o'clock at night, and then also in the morning before I went to school, like seven to eight in the morning. So um, I was forced to watch TV with my dad. And I'd, I'd occasionally get like, he'd put on the news, he'd put on like some, like th there's a game show over here called Countdown, which is all about like spelling words and solving number problems and stuff like that. So it really like makes your brain think about like teaser puzzles and words and stuff. Um, but the big thing that he would used to watch was Billy Mays on the Home Shopping Channel. Oh, wow. So I got inundated by Billy Mays seven days a week for about two hours a day for two years straight. What a great education in sales, man. For a, a kid that young, that's amazing. And my dad didn't know what he was doing. No one did. Um, it wasn't until like I was like 23 that I found this out that I looked back and I was like, man, okay, what's up with that? Because um, I went through a course saying like, find out everything you were told as a child and find your purpose and stuff because I was a little bit lost at the time. You know, disillusion 23-year-old as you go through that at some point in your life. Um, one of the big things I found was, uh, and the way I found this out was because my mother, when I was eight, 
she used to say to me, uh, what I used to do, if you, if you have a kid right now and he's doing this, there's a way around it without giving them a complex. Um, I used to wait till my mom would get on the phone with her sister or something. And as soon as she was on the phone, I had my cousins around. I wanted to play on like my PlayStation. I'd walk up to my mom and go, mom, can I play on my PlayStation? And just to get me away from like following her around, she'd say yes to anything. <laughs> so I'd go ahead and play. I'm like, I'd, I'd just wait for that moment. Because if you said mom told me it was okay, everyone else has to listen. Like we're not going to argue because she's on the phone. She'll slap us upside the head. Not that mom was violent. It's just that, you know, it's the thing that's expected. Bigger human, smaller person, you know, take the word for it. <laughs> so I'd use this all the time for like a while. And then my mom sat me down one day. She goes, you know what? You're such a manipulator, Adol. I was like, oh. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just asking and you're saying yes. So I don't know. And then, of course, you get older, you find out the manipulation influence are the exact same thing. But one is more um, for the grander good for people. or The other one's just the benefit of your own, which it was. It was definitely for my own benefit to play games. It's like, <laughs> you guys can watch your TV shows later. I'm going to play on my PlayStation. <laughs> That's what we want to do. But um, So, yeah. And then after I got told that my, you know, I wasn't that good uh, writing, um, because my teacher was like, he's writing really slow and he's a bit of a perfectionist. I spent a lot of time in my dad's office where I spent time learning how to write. And um, I wanted to be a physiotherapist. So I started learning to write very quickly. And my handwriting looked like, looks like a doctor's handwriting. Um, and then after that, my parents separated for a while, but they got back together. But around the same time they separated, I started doing martial arts. So I didn't get to spend as much time writing, but I wrote something every day. Now, how old were you at that time? 13. 13, okay. 13, and then they got back together when I was 15. Um, so in that entire time, I was constantly writing daily, uh, every single day. And then when I wow. was 18, oh, when I was 16, um, I, went to, I went to see my family in Africa, and they all own businesses, like all of them. Like some of them are like an international business. Like my uncle owns um, a phone company that is actually directly linked with the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. So it was really weird. Oh, my business. gosh. Yeah. We don't really talk about that much, but his uh, his sister gave me my first self-help book. Um, and also my mom had self-help books because when she went through counseling, they gave her a lot of self-help books. So I read them as well, like How to Win Friends and Influence People was one of the first ones I read. Uh, but the one I read that was the most powerful and hardest to read was The Seven, uh, seven Highly Effective Habits of Successful People. Uh -huh. effective people um stephen covey stephen covey yeah. yeah so i read that in the summer that i was in africa for six weeks came back to the uk and then two years later i, I was in network marketing and then after that i left network marketing going to internet marketing and around the same time my dad's told me like my dad didn't tell me for a while you should like you know learn how to sell all this that the other and i was being rebellious child man and didn't listen to my dad and then Two other marketers at an event told me, hey, why don't you do this? Because you're very good at it. Or like, you know, that's the proven result you got because you suck at getting traffic. But everyone that comes to your site buys something. So that's copywriting. Go do that. It's like, yay. <laughs> and so I did. And weirdly enough, I've probably only ever read one advertising book in my entire life. Not because I don't want to because I own a lot. But it's the results. Like my results fail as I read more. It's the weirdest thing in the world. Well, you know, it makes sense because the stuff that you were reading is, is the, is the basics of what you need to write copy. I mean, you got to know persuasion. So if I had to do it all over again, uh, I, I would not have dug into the copywriting books. I just would have dug into the classic selling books. Yeah. Just, uh, so that's basically my story and that's where, cause I'm supposed to be asking your story. So now, how old are you now? Uh, 26 in September. 
Man, oh man, I wish I would have had the 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 exposure to this stuff and 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 gotten started so young like like you did. That's such an advantage. It is, but um, that was actually used to be one of my biggest pet peeves, believe it or not. When I used to get told that for a very long time, and I don't mean this in a horrible way. It's just that basically I understand where people are coming from, but um, being inexperienced, so to say, is one of the worst timings in the world for like someone to start out. I mean, you can be thirty and still have the same thing, but it was uh, one of those things. I'm sure you've come across it where it's one of those moments where you're like, "Man, I really wish I was as successful as like Doberman Dan or something like that." But you don't realize how long you've been doing it and all the failures that you went through to get to where you are. Well, that's interesting. You should bring that up. Uh, so there's this thing called imposter syndrome. Yeah. And ironically, what's funny is the people who suffer from it often are the most experienced, most qualified, best trained people with the best track records who experience the imposter syndrome. It's where you think like, geez, you know, I don't have enough experience. I, you know, I really don't have enough of a track record. I'm really not that good. I'm afraid people are going to find me out. And every single person I know who has suffered from that or maybe continually suffers from it are the most kick-ass, <laughs> most qualified copywriters and marketers I know. The, the schmucks who really are frauds and don't know jack shit are the ones who don't suffer from it and they think they're just God's gift to marketing and they beat their chest about it. Those are the dudes who are the frauds. And, and it's funny, the most qualified ones are the ones who often suffer from that thinking like, geez, I don't know if I'm good enough. And oh, you know. You've just nailed me that right down to a T because like, I've just been seeing this as imposter syndrome for like the last six months everywhere online. I'm like, I don't think I have that, but some of the symptoms really ring true. I mean, it's actually one of the reasons why um, I get scared to charge people the fees I do. Well, see, that's not that's not uncommon. That's normal, man. Yeah. You know who told me about him? Well, I'm not going to say his name. The person I learned about this imposter syndrome from was one of the best copywriters in the world. A guy with a track record like you wouldn't believe. I won't mention his name because I don't. Hold on. I want to embarrass him. I'm going to pause this very quickly because I actually do want to know. But um, that's really interesting that, um, you know, this person is actually going through that uh, because it's it's insane. They have like, well, you've told me who it is. And of course, we bleeped it out because uh, <laughs> we don't want to embarrass him. But that's just, wow. That's, yeah. that, that's actually quite, weirdly enough, that's inspiring because it's like even he has that. And that tells you something. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I, Gary Halbert lived with me for a while. Yeah, and days, uh, right? yeah, he said he was just going to crash for the weekend and wound up staying <laughs> longer, which was great. But, you know, and then uh, I moved. I thought I was going to live the rest of my life in Costa Rica, but Gary talked me into moving back to the States to live in his same apartment building as him in Miami. And so you know, when you're that close to somebody, you get to know a lot about them. And, and, you know, I think with any art, Gary was like any artist or any genius, really. I mean, there's always insecurities there. And, uh, you know, he would go through slumps and have his doubts, you know, and he would ask me questions like, do you think I'm becoming irrelevant? And, 
you know, and even the great Gary Halbert still needed to hear Gary, you're Gary fucking Halbert, man. You, you know, and so I think everybody suffers from that. And if somebody says they don't, I'd be really tempted to tell you that they're probably lying. They'll probably lie about other things too. Yep. It's uh, one of those things I've actually noticed from a lot of top copywriters. Like, um, there's a few that I won't mention on this call just because uh, there's been a track record of if you mention their name, they get really very annoyed and slam you online. And I'm like, I don't really want to get into a bitchy war fight on someone with Facebook because that would just be hilarious <laughs> to me. I'm like, dude, come on. You, all you're doing is making me sound more relevant here. Please stop. Um, but yeah, this person, it's funny because this person actually falls into what Carlton called, there's three types of copywriters that Carlton wrote about. Uh, there was the, the real copywriter who has crazy insecurities, but he didn't call it imposter syndrome, he just called it crazy insecurity copywriter. The uh, complete fraud that is overconfident and the hack that rips off the copywriter that's really good, markets it as his own, but isn't, but is good enough that they can pass it off as not a complete fraud. I was like, wow. It's just mm -hmm. interesting because like, you know. Um, the majority of the copyrights we know sit in the first category of they are quite good, but they have imposter syndrome. And quick side note, because you actually know him and you knew both of them, or you know one of them because he's alive, the other one's passed away and we just spoke about him. Does Dan Meredith's face remind you of Gary Halbert when he was younger? With the Because <laughs> was it just me being crazy? You know, now that you say that, I'm going to have to go look at a picture of Dan. I I hadn't thought of that, but now I'm going to check it out. Yeah, like seriously, just look at it for a moment. Every time I just look at his face, I'm like, you seriously look like a dark-haired Gary Halbert in his like youth. It's scary <laughs> how like you look like him. Maybe we should ask Bond if... Uh... If, if Gary happened to visit the UK about 35 years ago. <laughs> the, the Lost Halbert. Go on. That would be a great sales letter as well. The Lost Halbert Rises. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, we never hear the end of that from Dan Meredith. I love him to bits, but we would never hear the end of it. You're right about that. Again, he's. I, I spoke to Roy Farr about this earlier as well. Um, you, I got to get a shout out from you on this one. Dan, get your ass in this podcast. We've asked you to be here enough times. You, you've got Roy Fair telling you to do it now. Doberman Dan's going to tell you as well. Dan, take it away. <laughs> Dan would be a great person to interview. Oh. He's highly entertaining and has a great attitude. Oh, definitely. He's a really nice guy. Real sweetheart of a guy as well. Um, it's really, really sucky. I've not actually ever had a chance to meet him. We were supposed to meet up in... Uh, December or November, December last year, but we couldn't do it in time. And it's insane trying to find him whenever he's in town. I'm like, God damn it, man, call me. How far does he live from you? You guys very far? He's like an hour and a half away. So oh my God. He, he visits London all the time, yet we never meet. I'm like, hmm. You guys need to get together, man. Oh, definitely. It'll be hilarious just to sit down with each other and go, all right, beard off. Who's got the better beard, me or you? <laughs> You're going to have to videotape that meeting. Oh, yeah. I, I actually reckon it would be quite good. But that's the thing. A lot of these podcasts are actually pretty much designed for us to have, like, if we were sitting at a coffee shop right now, fly on the wall. That's all I want people to be. Just understand that we are slightly crazy. And speaking of crazy, because you did actually mention this, um, a friend of mine called Matt Ford, uh, I don't know if you know him. He's a JV guy. He's been around for a while. No, His no. name sure sounds familiar. Okay. Uh, not not Michael Masterson, uh, no. whose real name is very, very close to Matt Ford, but Matt Ford's another guy. 
Um, what's really funny about Matt is um, <laughs> when he came over to England a couple of weeks ago, he was staying with me uh, in my apartment, and um, he said something like, man, you'd be surprised how many people are on like different things for like different reasons like some people smoke some people like whoremongers some guys just like drink a load some guys are on drugs and it's like you know what's scary you cannot be in like this online copywriting business without being like a lot of them you'll see are on like different substances um you can't be on like most people like it because they just can't fathom it like they just can't do it sober like some of them are on just caffeine <laughs> they're hooked on caffeine so i looked at him and said oh god then i'm fucked and they're like what do you mean it's like i'm doing the stone cold sober they're like what do you mean it's like no caffeine no drugs no cigarettes no nothing like really i'm like yeah they're like you must be insane i'm like pretty much <laughs> i think i lost my mind years ago man we got to get you drinking no <laughs> just kidding soda would be good just give me lots of soda and some sugar and we're happy <laughs> Go to like uh, sh sugar your substance of choice i see yes yes i i have a sweet tooth it's funny story, funny stories that I like sending um, gifts to my US friends. It's like, I'm not going to send them books. I just send them sweets from the UK <laughs> and get messages back saying, I'm addicted to this stuff. I hate you. I'm like, haha. Special cruel. <laughs> get, get people addicted to something that they can't buy. They have to get it from the UK. That's so mean. Exactly. And then tell them to hire me. And as our agreement in my copywriting contract, I will send you one bag of sweets every 20 days. I take it back then. It's not mean. It's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> it's the way we work today. But okay, so I want to jump into a few like really great concepts because obviously there's some, there's always going to be bits of wisdom to get dropped out whenever we're speaking, um, mainly because it's you. But realistically, I want to ask you something. Um, going back to the imposter syndrome thing, I mean, I, I'm, I'm almost certain you've gone through it because it's you and you're amazing and you used to be an inner city cop as well, weren't you, at one point? That is right. Yes. Yeah. So obviously you, you like you face like really random crazy danger and stuff and then you got like online danger as well. Um so what is the realist like realistically what was one of the things that you did to get yourself out of that doubtful period when you were like feeling oh man I don't know if I can do this. Well, I don't know if you're going to like my answer at all. <laughs> um I haven't gotten myself out of it yet. So the reality is uh, every single thing I do, those doubts pop up. And for some reason, all my successes just don't seem to matter to me. Um, when the doubts pop up, I start thinking about all my failures because I've had 10 times more failures than success, or I haven't done the numbers, a hell of a lot more failures than successes. And still, you know, most of the stuff I do doesn't work. So uh, I, I'm still not able to get to the chess beating phase of I'm wonderful and I'm the best marketer, copywriter in the world and all that bullshit. Because, I mean, the fact of the matter is this business just keeps you humble because really eight or nine out of every 10 things you do isn't going to work. In fact, if, 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 if two things out of every 10 things you do works, you got a pretty damn good batting average. So, uh, you know, I just, I'm sorry. I don't, I haven't found the solution yet. My only solution I found is 
oh, man, just to put my head down and keep moving forward in spite of the doubts and that, that bastard in my head who says all that shit, you know, like, well, you're probably going to fuck this up, you know, d- hey, so remember that promotion you wrote last month? My God, that stunk up the place. That was embarrassing, wasn't it? You know, that guy, I haven't been able to get him out of my head. So <laughs> I just put my head down and keep moving forward. And just, I just know the numbers, man. I just, I just know the numbers. Like Agora is a good example. I'm, I'm doing some work with Agora. And I, I helped them get a new supplement franchise started and, uh, and working with them to build that up. And those guys are just as badass marketers and copywriters as you can get. They hire the, everybody on their team I've met is incredibly sharp. I just keep wondering, how do you find these people? They hire the best of the best for everything. The best marketers, the best uh, product managers, the best uh, copywriters for sure. The best, you know, techie people who do all the high tech stuff. It's just incredible. In, in spite of that, they're about every, about every 10 things they launch, seven of them are basically bombs. And three of them work. And of those three, maybe if they're lucky, one is a home run. And the two are just base hits. But usually it's like the three that work are home run, or I'm sorry, are base hits. And then they just keep tweaking them, you know, until they get the numbers better and hopefully turn them into home runs. Wow. That's Agora, man. That's the best. That's the best of the best. And if that's their track record, you know, how how can we expect it to do better than that? I will actually have to talk to you about something afterwards, but we're going to put a pen in that. But that's actually really interesting because um, it's not a bad thing that you need to apologize to. In fact, I'm actually really happy you said that. What you said about, like, how the little bastard in your head is still there. Um, main reason is it actually inspires hope that despite... That bastard being in your head, I think, um, I'm going to quote Rocky here for a moment, because I like the Rocky movies that are amazing. Um, fear is your best friend. That is so true. And, and the reality is, you know, everybody talks about, oh, you know, kick fear's ass and overcome fear. And listen, um, so I guess if there's going to be a lesson today, this would be it. And it's the fear is always going to be there. Whatever, whatever you're doing, whenever you're doing something new, you're trying something new, you're writing a promo, you got a new client, the fear is always going to be there. You can't get rid of it, nor do you want to, because that's where your emotional edge comes from, mm-hmm. from that fear. You just, man, go ahead and just feel that fear and just keep moving forward. Now, I, I have found a way to help keep moving forward in spite of the fear. Um, fear is excitement without the breath. In other words, whenever you experience fear, it's a natural reaction of your body to stop breathing or to breathe really fast and shallow. And I found when you deliberately force yourself to breathe deeply from your diaphragm and just and do that, the fear turns into something else. It turns into something you can use. And like I said, use it, man. That's your emotional edge. Don't ever expect it to go away. 
I, I have not. So I've been in direct response 20 years, and then I've been an, a, a serial entrepreneur 29. The first nine being a never-ending string <laughs> of continual, miserable failures that left me, you know, broke, in debt, and really miserable and embarrassed. So 29 years of doing this stuff, I still experience fear quite frequently. <laughs> That's actually kind of awesome to know because I was reading your um, launch newsletter that you put out like a couple of, I think a year or two ago, you put it out about like, um, actually long, that was four years ago you put that out, but you only recently released them to the group, didn't you? Yeah, oh, oh, which one was that? What, what was that? Letters, it was the launch, Doberman Dan newsletter launched July 2011, August 2011, about you talking about how direct response is one of the best ways to go, even in the online world, that you make more money doing direct mail than you would uh, via doing email, because you get a higher oh, response yeah. rate. Um, That's right. That was the first year I was I started publishing. I started publishing in January 2011, yeah. Really? I thought you'd done. I thought you'd had your newsletter around longer than that. Nope, coming up on my. Let me see. January 2016 will be my five-year anniversary of the Doberman Dan letter. <laughs> wow, that was pretty awesome. Um, but wow, I mean that's insane. I mean, like one of the guys. It's really, really influenced. By the way, just um, I don't know if you know. I, I hope you know this because he's a really good kid, and that's Taylor Welch. I know Taylor. Yeah. Yeah, Taylor. Um. Taylor sent me a testimonial recently as well. He was like, oh, thank you so much for being you. If it wasn't, because it was quite a nice thing. He goes, I'm going to send you a testimonial. I was like, about what? He goes, how you helped me get into copywriting. I was like, I did? <laughs> I hope it's not the same reason I got into like poetry when I was younger. Because the reason I got into poetry when I was younger was um, I read a poem and I thought it sucked so badly that I could do better. So I got into poetry. <laughs> I'm just like, I hope it's not for that reason. He goes, no, 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 it was a good reason. I was like, all right, cool. And then he's got his newsletter out, and uh, I spoke to him about it. He goes, yeah, Dan was absolutely amazing. I was like, Meredith, uh, Gallopu, or the other one? Um, he was like, no, uh, Doberman Dan. I was like, awesome. <laughs> so that was, it was at that point where I was like, I need to get him on an interview. Seriously, this is the third time someone spoke to him. I, I, I really need to get him on board. But the um, your newsletter on launching, though, you uh, you went into like, a bit of detail about how you failed for nine years. And what was it? Selling tables or something like that? So oh my gosh. It was uh, so many things. See, I, I didn't have any business background. By the way, if you start hearing some noise, it's, uh, it's July in Florida. We have, it's almost like clockwork, daily afternoon thunderstorms, and it's starting right now. <laughs> oh, that's fine. I'll clean it up in the audio anyway. On the, on the, well, I don't do editing, but what I do is I just clean up the background noise. Okay, great. My cat doesn't shut up, so. <laughs> he's been quiet today. He's been quiet now. He's all meowed out, but usually he just meows his head off. <laughs> well, you might hear from my dog before this is over, too. He seems to like to pipe up whenever the red, li the red light is on and we're recording. Yeah, I had no business experience whatsoever, but I just knew that, uh, you know, I knew I didn't want to spend 25 years on the police department because the guys who did, well, didn't turn out well for them. So somebody got me into the Amway business and I tried that several years, spent a lot of time and money at it. And that was just a complete bomb, but at least it got me understanding, you know, the principles of being an entrepreneur. And so that led to all these other different businesses 
a couple vending businesses, a home improvement business with my neighbor who turned out to be a, a dishonest uh, douche. Yeah, he was a total douche. <laughs> I love how you're trying to be nice about it. It's like, I'm not trying to be nice about this. Oh, you know what? Screw it. No, he was a douche. Yeah, you know, and I'm thinking, I don't have to be nice about it. That that guy will never hear this interview. And even if he does, who cares? <laughs> he can just sit there and go, I ripped that guy off one day. And now he's <laughs> making way more money than I am. And I'm sat in a ditch. Damn it. <laughs> he probably is if he's still even alive, you know? Um, yeah, you know, all kinds of traditional businesses, a jewelry business, a, a coffee, jeez, oh, man, I forgot about this, a coffee route, you know, selling offices, coffee. I had, Luckily, I still had my, my full-time job on the police department at the time, or I would have, you know, literally been living in a cardboard box and eating out of dumpsters because nothing I did made any money at all lost money. Are you still left? Yes. Oh, cool. and, and there you go. There are my, I knew it. And my dog's going to start because my wife is getting home and he sees somebody coming in the backyard. Yeah. Hold on. I'm going to show you this because while we're waiting for it, uh, I'll just quickly switch on my camera and make sure this light is on so you can see him. Ow. God damn it, cat. Really? But this is him. <laughs> hey, that's a good looking cat. Say hello. Hey, buddy. What's up? You yeah. think you're a dog, huh? He does. He really does. All right, down you go. It's like gym mats all over the all over the floor, so you can throw them. And he's like, "I love it because it's bouncy on the floor." It's a cat heaven, man. Yeah, for him it is. Hold, hold on a second. I gotta unlock the door so my wife can come in. I'll be right back. All right, I'm just gonna pause this. Back. Um. So yeah, I mean, pretty much if it wasn't for the police department, you would have not really done so well. Uh, not at all. <laughs> So, like, okay, what happened? What was the transition? Because I know you spoke about this before, but, like, what was the... How did you go from that to copywriting madman crazy genius guy? Well, so I found Dan Kennedy because he was selling this system. He still does, as a matter of fact, uh, called the Magnetic Marketing System, oh. which the way it's pitched is it's, uh, you know, you don't have to cold prospect, uh customers come to you it's it's a pre-done formula temp template letters and all that stuff it was 397 dollars, which was a fortune to me at the time i didn't have it i put it on a credit card of course <laughs> and uh oh yeah well i don't know what i would have done without that credit card and uh it was my first exposure to direct response marketing and so i forget what business was failing miserably at the time and losing me money. I I've originally bought that course to use it to try to save the business, but the realization hit me like, wow, this Dan Kennedy guy just sold me a bunch of uh, pages that he copied on a copy machine and stuck in a three ring binder with some cassettes for $400. That is a way cooler business than what I'm in. So I basically totally ripped off Dan Kennedy and created a, a bodybuilding manual that I wrote and started selling it via mail order like Dan Kennedy. So the first, uh, the first business I had started in nine years that actually succeeded and made some money. That is pretty cool. Um, 
I think Dan's uh, like Dan was one of the guys that kept referring to you when um we when I was starting out and like listening to everyone's stuff and Dan was like, Yes, this guy called Doberman Dan's doing all this crazy stuff and stuff. Like, that was pretty cool. But the That's so nice of Dan to do that. I mean, what a what a thrill that you know, a hero who inspired me and got me started mentions my name. That's <laughs> that feels pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, there is something that's really interestingly funny that I should. Uh, I'm actually going to go into and just talk about this. It's a bit of a bitching moan. I apologize for anyone listening to this. But seriously, how do people with um, like no businesses, no nothing like that, how do they get approved for like huge amounts of credit cards? Like, you know, 25, 30 grand and stuff. It, it boggles my mind. Oh, oh, you you talking about the, getting the get approved for that that much credit on a credit card? Yeah, I'm like, how do they do it? Because like, uh, my credit card has like a five thousand like eight thousand dollar card limit. I mean, I'm decently good with it, but um, it's just like no, so bad. Well, you know what I think it is. I don't know this for a fact. I'm just, I'm, I I just think this is what it is, and it makes sense. The banks and stuff have really gotten tighter on credit after the big crash we went through in 2008. They just couldn't give enough money away before then. Uh, you know, you could <laughs> apply for a credit card and put down there, you know, employment. You know, you could write down that you're a street beggar and, you know, all right, let's approve this guy for 20 grand. They just couldn't give it away fast enough, but I think they got a little smarter and a little tighter with the credit since then. So that, that's probably what it is. Wow. That's pretty, it makes you wish that you actually applied for one at that time. So like, oh, I get a dinner. <laughs> just build up my credit. Like, think about that. The first credit card you get as an 18 year old is a 20 grand application. And you're like, I can either go spend all my money or I can be smart about this not touch it for years and let the credit limit keep building. So by the time you're 26, you've got like a hundred grand credit limit. Well, that's the smart thing to do. But if I would have gotten a credit card for 20 grand when I was 18, I would have pissed it all away on guitar gear. <laughs> like yeah, in a week, you know, easily. I mean, um, I remember the best year I ever had, um, I made $99,987 in that year first year that I actually was like, oh my god, I actually really made huge amounts of money. At the end of that year, um, I had like very little money left. I was like, how did I spend nearly a hundred grand on stuff? What did I buy? I have no vices. What did I buy? <laughs> I just look at the stuff. I'm like, I have no idea. I literally have no idea what I spent my money on. Oh, I oh, listen. I can totally relate to that. I've had this conversation with so many entrepreneurs, you wouldn't believe it. I had this conversation with a guy who, uh, I forget how many years, it wasn't that long. He'd made $150 million and was broke. And, and like nobody could believe it, but I certainly could believe it because the skill set of making money is almost diametrically opposed to the skill set you need to keep money. That is so true. Gary and I, Gary Howard and I had this conversation. And now back when we had this conversation, I wasn't making much money. And my question to him was, how in the hell can you be broke month after month when you owned Halberts, man? You owned the most successful mail order business in history. And, and he said, he said, listen, if you're broke, 
at $30,000 a year. You're going to be broke when you're making $300,000 a year, when you're making $3 million a year or $30 million a year. And I didn't get it at the time. I just didn't get it because um, I was broke making probably, you know, I don't know, 60 grand a year and was broke. And I thought, no, 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 that makes no sense. If I were making 300,000 a year, I won't be broke. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's keeping the money. You know, if you, if you just keep spending it all on lifestyle, it really doesn't matter how much you make. You're still going to be broke. You'll be, you'll be, you'll look good from the outside. If you're making 30 million a year, you have an awesome house and some cool cars. You'll just be broke at a higher level. Oh, entirely. It's one of the weirdest things that's around, uh, Apple. But um, so I'm going to ask you something right now based on like that whole mentality. What would your advice be to someone that's going through that? Like, How would they get around that? Would you say put up a saving program or just allow them to make a shitload more money? I will. You know what? I, I learned this in the bodybuilding business. So I started selling information and then I figured out eh, some people in that market will buy information. But what they really want is the magic pill. They want to be able to take a pill and look like Arnold. So that's how I got in the supplement business. And I, and, but I gave them the information they needed as a bonus with their supplement. I gave them the info telling them how to train and eat. So I used to say, I sold them what they want, but I gave them what they needed. So to answer your question, <laughs> um, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what you think you need to hear. Uh, but I'm going to give you what you need too. And I'm going to start out with what you really need. What anybody needs who has this problem of keeping money. Uh, I'll give you some pragmatic advice in a minute, but first we got to look at something. So there's a, there's a, there's some thinking stuff going on. There's some mental stuff happening in your head if you're broke. And most likely it may be what I, dealt with, continue to deal with, you know, growing up lower middle class in uh, Barberton, Ohio, in a blue collar town where the best you can ever hope for is graduate from high school and get a job working in one of the tire factories. So when you grow up in that environment and you hear things like money is hard to get, money doesn't grow on trees, you know, what am I, what, what do you think I'm made of money? You know, I work hard for my money and you hear this conversation between your parents about they can't pay the bills. They don't know how they're going to make it. Um, you know, anytime my mom mentioned somebody who was wealthy or well off, she didn't say, oh, yes, the, the, oh, your friend, you know, uh, Rob, Rob, yada, yada. Oh, yes. Uh, his parents have a lot of money. No, it was always said like this. Oh, yeah. Oh, his parents have lots of money, like with disdain. And she grew up in dirt poor poverty in Mississippi. You know, the only dress she had was made out of a potato bag and she didn't have shoes until she was five, raised by two alcoholic parents. So she had all kinds of crap in her head about money, which was passed along to her children. So usually somebody's dealing with that kind of thinking. If they, if they don't have money if they're not making enough money, if they not, if they can't keep their money, there's some there's some mental issues involved, and you got to figure what you got to figure out what those are, and start dealing with those. Now, the pragmatic advice is, uh, 
what's what's recommended in a cool little book called The Richest Man in Babylon. Ten percent of everything you make is yours to keep, and it comes off the top you pay yourself first before you do anything you don't make your rent payment your mortgage whatever your car payment you don't pay visa you don't pay the telephone bill you don't pay nothing until you pay yourself first so that's probably the most important thing you could do <laughs> uh, to have some money also when times are good don't plan on it continuing to be as good or better. So don't keep adjusting your lifestyle upwards every time your income increases. Live under your means. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really, really big one. And it's interesting that you should have mentioned The Richest Man of Babylon, because surprisingly, that is the exact same book Roy Fair mentioned, because he spoke about how like he got to where he is. And he was like, no, I mean, I, I live below my means and all that. The other thing, it's like, but I love the richest man in Babylon. Have you heard of it? I'm like, it's on my bookshelf. It's one of oh, my that's a great books. little book. Oh, oh yeah. I, oh, again, I wish somebody would have given that to me when I was 18. I, I don't know if I would have. <laughs> I don't know if I would have taken the advice, but I would like to think I would have. Hmm. You hope, You do hope that you do. I mean, I got given that. I didn't get given the book. I got given the audio version when I was uh, 19. And uh, stupid little old me didn't really understand what to do. So I would make money at the time. I was like, so I was living at home. So if I made like a thousand dollars, it was good, good times. Cause I didn't have to pay rent. I was living kind of free. It's like, oh, a thousand bucks. I can do what I want. And I've, I've made no money this year. So it's no big deal. But what's really scary. And again, this kind of like, it sounds contradictory to what you just advised, which is, you know, live below your means. Don't, you know, upgrade your lifestyle. Um, I've actually found every time I've upgraded my lifestyle, I make more money. But the only reason I'm able to do that is because I can maintain that lifestyle to begin with. Like, uh, you know, you don't do one month where you do like $10,000 and then move into a house that costs like $3,000 a month to live at. Because you don't know if the second month you're going to make $10,000 again. Mm -hmm. Like, so the, the, the litmus test for me is I have to be able to make whatever money I need to live on six months in a row. If I make $5,000 six months in a row, I know for a fact I can move into a place because I've saved up enough to move in for a few months because I, I, I take Carlton's advice. Well, I used to take Carlton's advice. I, I really want to get back to doing it, which is um, save up six months worth of living expenses, like rent, food, bills, everything. Just put six months aside and never touch it. And then raise your prices as a copywriter and see what happens. That's good advice. It's again, you know what? That all comes back to head stuff. When you've got, when you got six months, you know, better is 12. But when you've got six or 12 months of cash stashed somewhere that'll pay your living expenses if you don't bring a dime in and income, you have an entirely different mindset. And the guy who's, the guy who wants to hire you who's an asshole in the beginning. By the way, if, if they're a little bit of an asshole in the beginning, it only gets worse and usually much worse. Yep. But when you need the gig and you need the money, you'll take it. And then that guy winds up making you absolutely miserable. Mm -hmm. But when you got six or 12 months worth of living expenses, you can be like, you know what? Screw you. Uh, yeah, dude, I'm not going to work with you because frankly – I think you're a dick. So have a nice life. Oh man, dude, you just reminded me of the first time that happened to me last year. 
It's the first time ever. Um, to this day, I like if someone asked me, what about this guy? I'm like, never going to work with him. But he'll pay you. Don't care. Uh, the, <laughs> the guy literally asked me for a quote on a webinar. So I told him it will cost you like, you know, $7,000 for me to write the script. Next thing I know, he sends me back the contract that I sent to him, the agreement, signed and sent the PayPal check as well, like sent me the money and everything. Um, he had written, not just write the webinar, write, but script all the marketing videos behind it, write all the email copy for it, do the after sales page for it, everything, right? Uh-huh. So while I'm writing this, now at this point, it's, it, it's at this point in my life, I'm actually not scared of writing copy at that point. I was just like, you know what? I know what I'm doing. I actually have my little formula mentally planned out. I know how I'm going to do this because I've looked for this market enough times before that I kind of, I know the general feel. Plus I'm a, you know, I'm a consumer of this market, so I do know what they want. So I'll write it from that point. Start writing it and he wants me to write it piece by piece following Frank Kern's uh, formula for um, writing webinars, which is still pretty cool. Um, gets to a point, bless him, where he has like we finally get like just six to eight weeks of pure hell with this guy i mean i'm getting everything i write being changed by him and uh the weirdest thing was he actually went ahead and moaned at me literally flat out he like wrote some really mean stuff to me because he like when he's on the phone he's like the nicest guy when he writes to me he's a bit of a dick comes out with um i just spent the last two and a half hours performing copy surgery on the stuff that you sent me so I went in and checked out what he did because we were using a shared account of um, a project management software. Checked in and all he had changed was he wrote one line which just was a repeat of what he had done again. Like I've done X thing doing this thing. And he just added that again halfway through the copy. That's all he did. No editing, no anything else, nothing. In fact, I actually thought I, thought I was going blind. So I sent both pieces to my friend and go, does this look similar or am I just going crazy? He goes, no, 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 all he's done is change this one thing. I was like, interesting. Funny story, that person ended up uh, approaching a certain someone in the industry that's quite well known. Sent my work and said I wrote it. This person was like, tell him to rewrite it, it's horrible. I find out, I end up calling the guy and it's like, the, the person who showed it to, I was like, hey, you don't know me, but my work was shown to you. That wasn't my work. Let me show you what I did. Sent it in and goes, this would have worked. I was like, really? He goes, yeah. <laughs> This would have worked. The other guy just basically sandbagged you for no reason. I was like, interesting. <laughs> I was like, from now on, never will I ever take on a client because I need money. If I need money, money will find me in another way. That's so smart. You're too young to be this smart. <laughs> <laughs> People say that, but you'd be surprised. I mean, it's um, like, they can't, like I got asked yesterday, <laughs> how long have I been consulting for? <laughs> it's like, what were your starting fees? Because... Um, one of the pa the package I started off with was like a thousand dollars an hour, and then it was two thousand dollars an hour, but it was broken up in fifteen minute increments. Because I can do your business for you in like fifteen minutes, it doesn't really matter because I just fire hydrant you. Um, but someone said, "Oh, what did you start off with? How did you do it?" I was like, "I, I started two weeks ago." Like really? I was like, "Yeah." Um, <laughs> the reason I did, I didn't want to be a consultant that just doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, that's why I did copywriting for so long. I, worked with enough people to understand this and if i don't i just re recommend you to people that i do know that are smarter than me aka doberman, doberman dan and roy Farr and everyone else in the group that's basically a badass and fun people so basically people i interview always a fun thing but okay i have a i have a question 
for you. Another one. But this is one sure. that's actually not not so much for me, but I know because I've been asked it so many times by so many people. And that is quite simply this. How do you get a consistent flow of clients? Because I've been there where, you know, nothing for months and then huge flood of everyone wants me and I don't have enough time to do it. How do you make sure you have a consistent stream of clients coming in? Like, what was your thing when you did that? Well, you know, as a freelancer, it's it's not like I have a lot of experience. I've mostly, I've mostly written copy for my own businesses. And of course, you know, when I, I, I take a client here and there, it was people in the business who knew me and, uh, you know, I would do it on the side, but I always had my own businesses. And then when I was working with Gary Halbert, you know, yeah, I was writing copy for clients then, but they were his clients. So I wasn't managing clients or getting clients. Okay. And so really as a, you know, I didn't actually really start freelancing until 2012 when I sold, I sold my, my last supplement business then. And so, so I'll tell you two things you can do for clients. When, when there's a more immediate need, then I've had a lot of success on LinkedIn. For some reason, people who are normally unreachable seem to be, uh, it's a lot easier to reach them on LinkedIn. I'll just give you an example. So, um, who was it? It was one of the, one of the guys who's the, one of the editors of the, a financial publication within within Weiss Research. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I saw him on LinkedIn um, and I clicked to add him as a contact. And this this happened immediately. It must have been like 11 o'clock at night. Clicked to add him as a contact. I saw it was approved like immediately. So I had this little system when he approved me as, as, a, as a contact on LinkedIn, I'd send this little email back to him like, hey, you know, thanks for Thanks for, uh, you know, improving me as a LinkedIn contact. Uh, you know, as a direct marketer, I thought you might enjoy a couple of these articles. And I referred them back to blog posts I've written that were about copywriting. And he immediately, like within five minutes, responded and said, I need a copywriter right now. I, can, are you available to chat? I know it's late there, but can you talk? Because he lived somewhere in, in Asia. And I'm like, yeah, sure. So he called me. You know, and offer me a gig immediately. And if, if that would be, if that was the first time that that happened, I'd say it was a fluke. But that happens so many times on LinkedIn. So if you need a client and you need a client now, that's not a bad place to go fishing. Hmm, interesting. See, that's good to know. And that actually leads me to a follow-up question. It's actually a better question to ask. But, you know, I got a really good answer as well. The question here is... Um, when you were writing your own copy, how like what was your methodology for writing for yourself? Because it's um, there's a saying in the UK uh, called "cobbler's shoes." That's like the like the phrase down paraphrase version of it, but the actual phrase is uh, "the shoe cobbler's kids have no shoes." <laughs> right. Yeah. So how did you get around that? Because every copywriter I know has a problem writing their own. For me, it's been the exact opposite. It's it's much easier for me to write my own copy than it is for a client. I, you know, because uh, when I write my own copy, if if it just doesn't work as expected, or even if it bombs, 
I'm used to that. I've got 20 years experience with that. And it sucks. Don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, my first reaction isn't joy. Like, oh, great. I lost money. <laughs> you know, it still sucks. But it's like, ah, you know, I get pissed off for a little while. And then I'm like, okay, back to the drawing board. Figure out why this didn't work and try again. And it's, it's no big deal because I'm used to it. And it's my money that I lost. But if I'm writing for a client, and the results don't come back to where everybody expects it to or everybody wants it to, I am really upset because it wasn't my money I lost. It was somebody else's. Mm. And for some reason, that's a real problem for me. Wow. Um, I really worry about that. So for me, writing my own copy is really easy. The challenge always was because, I mean, sure, there are self-imposed deadlines, but I'm my own client. If I miss a deadline, it's like, eh, no big deal. I'll forgive myself. You know, it's like, ah, whatever. You know, so that was the challenge uh, and still is writing copy for myself. The, yes, of course, I give myself a deadline, but it's pretty easy to blow it off. <laughs> yeah, that sounds, um, sounds interesting. But Dan, listen, I'm going to wrap up real quick because I want to speak to you afterwards. Um, don't want to take up too much of your time, but thank you so much for taking the time to get on the call and do this with us today. I mean, it's been mind-blowingly good because it sounds like I'm going to go back and listen to this a couple of times myself. And if you're listening to this as a podcast, please re-listen to it again because just so much knowledge was dropped, but in such a casual manner. It's weird, but amazing. So, um, Dan, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you, Adol. I, I enjoyed myself. I appreciate the invitation. Well, definitely open invite whenever you want to come back on. We'll have you on again because, hey, it's fun. Like Here's what I'm – you know what? Listen, I'm going to take you up on that with a caveat. Uh, before we start recording, you invited me to London. So let's do it in person next time in, in your city, that fancy place where you live. What's it called again? Uh, I live in uh, Mayfair. Like yeah, in Mayfair. Yeah. So the next time we do this, let's do it in person in Mayfair. Yeah, that'll be pretty awesome. Let's do that. That'll be pretty cool. Hang out with Doug and Dan in Mayfair, get some good food, and record a podcast together. We'll do it on video as well this time. Hey, even better. Exactly. All right, guys. Again, check out Doberman.Dan.com. That's the link is underneath in the description and also on the blog post. Uh, subscribe, listen to him, buy everything that he get, basically tells you to buy because he's amazing. And trust me, you will be on your way with a much, much more happier understanding of how to basically run stuff in your business and in your life and be happy because Doberman Dan is like the man for it. Uh, thanks again for being here. And again, thanks for being with us, Dan. We do appreciate Thank you, Adol. Thank Take you care. very much. Take care, guys. Bye.